following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Looking back in your life, I want you to think of a time when you saw God on a roll, where God was moving and doing things at an accelerated pace, where literally it was like revival in your life. Uh, maybe it's when God woke you up to faith, uh, when you woke up to faith in the first place, and God woke you up, and it's almost like you were resuscitated, like God brought you to life. Um, maybe it's when the Word of God became alive to you. I hope you've had an experience where the Word of God has actually come alive to you, because it is alive. It's living and active. And if you haven't had the Word of God come alive to you yet, pray and camp out with God and be in the Word, and the Spirit of God will illuminate, will bring to life the living Word of God. He's the author of it, and it still lives on today. Maybe that's a time where you're like, wow, I can't believe it. This is alive. And these times where God is moving and He's, he's stirring us. Maybe a season where God was answering prayers in a rate that you're just so blessed that He's knocking your socks off. Um, I would suggest that those seasons in your life are moments of revival, moments where God has taken your heart and given you life on a whole nother level where you're getting to experience God's kingdom, where you and I get to move along with the Holy Spirit in what is referred to as a move of the Holy Spirit. We have this thesis in ministry, uh, and it's out of Zechariah, where it says, it is not by strength nor by might, but it is by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, where Jesus came in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and he did all these amazing things and he told the church, hey, I'm leaving, but you're going to be fine because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And he gave us some insights about the Holy Spirit that we need to stay in step with the Holy Spirit, that we don't want to get ahead of God or behind God, but we want to be able to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to suggest that all through time and in our lives, there are times when we can move along with the Holy Spirit But before we do, you and I have to recognize a move of the Holy Spirit. What is a move of the Holy Spirit? Um, Because if we don't recognize a move of the Holy Spirit, we'll never be able to move along into and along with a move of the Holy Spirit. We're uh, picking up in the book of Acts where we left off last week. Scott did a great job, Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can open up to chapter 11. And in the review of this... um, God was doing explosive things. It was nothing short of revival. God was doing amazing things. And it's the first time in history when you look at the entire timeline of God dealing with humanity that we have that's recorded in Scripture, it has always been primarily God and the Jewish people, God and the Israelites. It's always been the Hebrew nation, the Jewish people that God has been engaging with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, and so on. And finally, the Jewish people finally get to meet their Messiah, Jesus, or Yahshua, as they would say, and everything changed. The Jewish people who acknowledged Messiah were on an explosive new journey. And what we see in Scripture up to this point, even in the book of Acts, that we have all Jewish people, primarily followers of Israel, of Adonai, and going to the temple and worship, they realize Jesus is the Messiah, Their life has changed. They're on a new uh, season of revival where the Spirit of God is leading them in life. But the Gentile people, like most of us in this room, many of us, were the outsiders. We weren't the Jewish people. We weren't entitled to. We were not let in on some of these 
radical dimensions of relationship with God. We were the outsiders. We were the Jewish people. I mean, we were not the Jewish people. And because of it, God wasn't so involved in the lives of the Gentiles until right now. In, in this passage that we covered last week, Acts chapter 10, God did the most explosive thing through the history of the Bible. It's Jewish people, Jewish people, Jewish people, and finally, wham, God goes to the Gentile people, turns their world upside down. There's full-blown revival, and it is amazing. And Peter is coming back from that moment going, I can't believe after all these years, God did something by his spirit, a move of his spirit that was so outside the box of what we typically assume God does. How many of you know that we create our own little boxes? Don't you know that, honestly? We, we don't think we do, but we have a box like God does this and he doesn't do that. He, he would not never do that. He would always do this. And we have this little box of understanding that this is kind of what God should do or would do if he's going to do it. And this is our, our worldview of how God works. And every once in a while, God has to just wreck that. Have you ever noticed it? He's got to wreck our box to show you and me that he doesn't live in a box. He doesn't live in our dimension of limitation. And he does something explosive outside of that box. It's full-blown revival. The Gentile people are included for the first time in history. And this is amazing. You, are, you and I are here today as a result subsequent of God deciding to include the Gentiles. So it's amazing. And Peter is blown away with this. He is floored. He's overwhelmed. He's walking back from up north going, I can't believe what God just did. And he's dizzy. He's just walking back to Jerusalem. He's like, I can't believe this story. They're not going to believe it. I got to share this story. And so this is where it picks up um, in this passage. But I just want to preface it with this. Some people get in on revival. They recognize a, a move of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes, that was a move of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. And at the same time, some don't recognize a move of the Holy Spirit at all. And really, when we look at this passage, to me, it's a snapshot of recognizing a move of the Holy Spirit or not recognizing a move of the Holy Spirit. In this passage, we're going to find out that there were a large group of people who had no clue that the Holy Spirit was doing anything. And that's not uncommon in times of revival. Uh, We are praying for revival, and we sense that God is about to stir revival in our city. And uh, we are praying to be part of what God is going to do on a grander scheme of things. Many I talk to, pastors and leaders, also sense the same thing. That God is preparing us to make some straight paths, make the way for the Lord. As the Bible says, prepare the way. Make some straight paths, get stuff out of the way, because God is going to move. We sense that. But it's not uncommon in times of revival that people don't recognize a move of the Holy Spirit. Um, our church is a, we're a Calvary chapel. That's our fellowship, our affiliation, if you will. It's a non-denominational church, but a very healthy fellowship association of churches. And in the very beginning, it started with the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement was the least likely of society to ever come to faith. You look at a picture of Woodstock and what it looked like, and that was shocking from people that came out of the 50s. It was shocking. And all these people who were, you know, smelly and, and, and they all lived together and they never showered and they were doing drugs and everything, all of a sudden waking up and falling in love with Jesus. And it was happening in droves. It was happening across the country. It was nothing short of full 
full-blown revival. Well, in the early days of Calvary Chapel, these hippies start piling into this little church, small church, maybe 100 people, and all these hippies start piling in, coming to faith, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this amazing move of God, a group speaks to the pastor, Pastor Chuck. We got a problem here. Really, what's the problem? The problem is, we got all these stinky hippies coming into our church with their bare feet and they're messing up our new carpet and we can't have it and you got to tell them to start showering and putting shoes on, otherwise we can't have them in here. Pastor Chuck says, really? I guess next week we're taking out the carpet because you guys don't recognize the move of the Holy Spirit. This is a move of the Holy Spirit. You got hippies coming in in droves, giving their life to Jesus, and we're looking at their feet. We're looking at their stinky feet. And we're wondering what they might be doing to the carpet. Instead of having a moment with God and praying for God to continue this amazing revival where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the least likely are coming to faith. So many times, so many times, Instead of looking at God, we can stop and start looking at each other and finding a reason and completely miss out on a move of the Holy Spirit. In this passage today, we're right smack in the middle of this explosive thing where the Gentiles are coming in and the world around Jerusalem and now Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world are turning upside down because the Spirit of God is on the move. Peter is getting in on this. And there's others that not only miss it, but they even go a step further. And we're going to look at that today. Acts 11, if you have your Bibles, we'll unpack this in sections. Uh, It begins in verse 1. And it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So at this point, since the Gentiles were never included, they heard that God did something radical. And when you and I hear about something really cool God does, it spreads pretty quick. Everyone heard, Peter's coming back and telling us what happened, but we can't believe what we heard. It's pretty amazing. So Peter shows up, and he shows up to basically explain a move of the Holy Spirit. It was nothing less than a move of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what revival is. It's a move of the Holy Spirit that you and I get to partner with. Revival is not because of us. It's often in spite of us. Yet you and I get to partner with the living God on his amazing rollout of what he's about to do. And Peter is coming back and he's explaining a move of the Holy Spirit. And not only was this move of the Holy Spirit not recognized by some, it was even criticized by some. It says in the passage they were criticized. The Greek word is diakrino, and it means this. It means to withdraw and to judge and to discriminate and then oppose. Think about that. To withdraw, have a little judge and jury, and then to discriminate and oppose. And we might assume that would be a little common if these people were the Pharisees that we're talking about here. But we're not talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about believers. We're talking about believers in the church, people who would say that they follow Jesus. Now, if they were Pharisees, we'd expect that because we constantly see the tension of Jesus and the Pharisees. 
And Jesus never even talked about um, direct to people with criticism and setting them straight, except for the Pharisees, because they were so critical of everyone. But that's not the case here. These are believers in the church of Jesus Christ. These are followers of Jesus. And it says that um, these Pharisees were not just, uh, excuse me, these Pharisees, these Pharisees in the church um, weren't just individuals. There was a group, which tells me that there was a group of people a group of people who already did this diacrino withdrew, the group withdrew, the group judged, the group discriminated, and now the group was opposing Peter. Peter comes back with a revival story. And they're not like, bravo, that's awesome, move of the Holy Spirit. They're like, we got a problem with you. You did what? Who gave you permission to do that? We don't do that. And that's not what God does, by the way. Doctrinally, you're out of line foundationally, you're, you're, you're off. God can't do this. We know what God does. He does it this way. He doesn't include Gentiles. You actually ate with them, and now these people are fuming mad, and that's why publicly, publicly, they really feel like they have a theological basis to publicly oppose and to criticize him. And it's a pretty intense little passage right here. I don't know about you, but Jesus didn't die to make us Pharisees. He didn't die on the cross to make us Pharisees. He died that we would walk with him and move in his spirit and not be uh, critical as these in this story. And I would say that we, you and I, we have to be careful with this because honestly, honestly, you and I can end up on either side of this story right here. You and I can end up on either side of the story. We could be the ones who are being criticized by other believers who have a view, who don't understand or want to do like what was done. Maybe you're led by the Spirit and others don't get it and oppose. Or or you you and I could be on the other side where we don't get it and we start saying things as well. Um, You know, God just uh, woke me up to something recently. I was at a pastor's conference and I'm walking in ready for this pastor's conference. I was trying to get a parking spot and all of a sudden this pastor pulls in this brand new big Mercedes and flies into a spot and I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. What's this guy doing driving this big brand new Mercedes? This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, wait a minute. He shouldn't have that car. And I'm going down this road. I am doing this diacrina, withdrawing, judging, discriminating and opposing this guy going, what's the deal with this guy? What's his story? And why? I don't know why I thought this, but this is a crazy nice car and I had an issue with it. So theologically, I was already coming up with reasons why this guy was wrong and this wasn't right. And I sensed right in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit saying, stop. You don't know who gave him that car. And I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I thought I did. And I had it all figured out. And the Holy Spirit's saying, stop right there. You don't know who gave him that car. Maybe I gave him that car. Maybe he's been so generous I blessed him. Maybe his family gave it to him. Maybe he sold his business and he's serving in ministry and he doesn't even take a paycheck because I, you don't know where he got that car. And here I am going down the wrong road with this guy in his car and it's taking up headspace and I am doing the same diacrino thing right here withdrawing, judging, discriminating, opposing. And honestly, truth be told, we can do the same thing. I tell you what it does. It takes our eyes off the prize. It takes our eyes off the prize. We end up being like those people saying, what about these hippies messing up our carpet? We have a different way of saying it, but we do the same thing. And I believe if we're going to partner with God on revival and we're going to 
go with God, we have to recognize the move of the Holy Spirit, and there's really no place for this kind of thing. This story is a story about revival is breaking out, and here's what God did, and it was met head on, boom, head on, right out of the gate with criticism. Well, God doesn't do that, brother, and I don't, can't believe you did that, the nerve of you. you got some explaining to do right in the middle of revival. I think we got to be careful because I don't want to miss out on revival. I don't want to be somebody who's too critical looking at feet or looking at carpet or looking at somebody's car that I'm missing out on the big picture. Amen. You guys know what I'm talking about on this? It happens subtly, but I'm just telling you, that's not the spirit of God saying, oh, look at them, the nerve of them. And how come? That's not the spirit of God doing that. That's ourselves. And so the spirit um, stopped me on this one. So if you're a note taker this morning, here's a couple of points on on recognizing a move of the Spirit and how we partner with the Spirit. Uh, the first thing to note is, and we see it right in, the, in this second verse right here, uh, is that a critical spirit will miss out on a move of the Holy Spirit. A critical spirit will miss out on a move of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God is moving. Peter fully gets in on it. These guys don't even recognize it. Not only do they not recognize it, they attack it. Sad state of affairs. They didn't recognize it. They attacked it. So a critical spirit will miss out on a move of the Holy Spirit. What is a critical spirit? Let me just break it down a little bit. One author put it this way, well stated. It's an obsessive attitude of criticism and fault finding, which seeks to tear down others rather than build up. And it dwells on the negative and it looks for flaws with tendencies for gossip and slander. You know, those who are critical, the Pharisees were like that. Usually we see throughout scripture in the gospels, the Pharisees fit this mode, trying to trick Jesus, trap him, you know, critical, always trying to find things. That was the Pharisees. But now we're seeing it right smack in the middle of revival in the church. And I think it's noteworthy because this is not, this group of people are not moving along with the Holy Spirit. They don't even recognize the move of the Holy Spirit. And they're just critical of what's going on. Um, It's been said that when you're critical, you tend to judge others by their actions but judge ourselves by our intentions. That's not what I was thinking. It's not what I was feeling, so I'm fine. But others, it's more what they did. Does that make sense? Judging others by their actions, but judging ourselves by our, by our intentions. It says in Romans 14.10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister and why do you treat them with contempt? That's what was happening in the story, by the way. Uh, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. You think of how this could have stumbled Peter. God moves in revival and he comes back and gets slammed for it. Wow. Now what do I do? I think it's the Spirit. I get in trouble for it. And now what do I do? And Paul is writing saying, hey, people are going to stand before God and that's going to be his job to critique and to do that. And if we're focused that way, we're going to miss out. The second point this morning is that while some participate in revival, others only criticize it. While some participate, others only criticize it. And that's really what this passage is about. He's reviewing uh, what was covered last week when Scott covered chapter 10. And so it's a really a review of the revival 
and yet there's critique and missing out right in the middle of it. So while some participate in revival, others only criticize it. We saw that with the Jesus movement, and many other revivals, by the way, were like that. Azusa Street revival, different nature of revival, and yet there was, for the first time, black, white, brown, Asian, Latin, everybody coming. First time back in that era, that wasn't happening. Having a moment with God where God was lighting up hearts on the inside, and that was like, what in the world is that? There weren't any churches like that. That was brand new, and it was met with a lot of criticism back in its era. When you go back to other things, the Great Awakening, you had preachers leaving the churches of England, going into the, the coal mines and preaching to people, and people thought that was so unprecedented why you would leave a house of God and go to a filthy coal mine, and yet people are coming to faith in droves. And then some started even taking the bar songs, the bar songs at the pub where they're drinking pints all day long and banging out these songs. They took the bar songs and they made them songs for Jesus. And others are saying, that's, that's sacrilegious. That's heretical. That's heresy right there. You, it was met with critique. All these revivals along the way were met with some sort of critique. The Jesus movement, these stinky hippies that are all communal in their living, people are like, what is that mess? Don't condone it. Tell them to cut their hair if they're coming in this place. It's a sin. Look at them. Long hair, sinners. This is what was going on. And there's been people all through time that have done nothing but found a problem with the move of the Holy Spirit and critiqued it. I'm telling you guys, it's all throughout, throughout history. It's happening right smack in the uh, story of Acts. It moves on in verse 5. Uh, it was in the city of Joppa, this is Peter explaining, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds, and then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. So he's saying, God gave me a vision. Uh, and in this vision, he showed me, basically, that it's okay to eat double cheeseburgers and milkshakes at the same time. How many of you know that your Jewish friends can't do that? They can have a milkshake, they can have a burger, they cannot have a double cheeseburger and a milkshake at the same time. Time, which is a great combination, by the way. Um, they can't mix things. When we were in Israel and we were over there eating, you know, they, they don't bring out the butter when they're serving. I'm like, where's the butter? Oh, you can't have butter today. What do you mean you can't have butter today? You can have it yesterday, but not... Yeah, you can't have it out here at the same time. And if you go to a pizza place, there's no meat or certainly no pepperoni on the pizza because they don't do pork. And so there's a lot of dietary rules of cleanliness. And God is essentially saying that at this point, you can have bacon, you can have sushi, you can have oysters. It's all good. It's all kosher now. And so God is explaining to Peter through this vision that it's all kosher, that through what Jesus did, it's all clean and it's all okay. We may have our choices of our dietary choices, but we got to be careful not to be calling stuff all this, you know, uh, don't eat this and don't eat that in the sense of what God has made uh, because God is saying it's all kosher. And God did this three times and specifically says in verse 9, you might want to underline this in your Bible, um, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Um, God is saying the food component here, uh, back then I'm sure there wasn't pesticides and all kinds of other crazy, you know, mod, you know modified uh, 
you know, seeds that they're making. But back in the day, God made it all. He, God's saying it's clean, it's legit, it's kosher. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He's referring to food. He's referring to food, but he's also segueing to now talk about people. And this is something that the listeners at the time, the critical ones, they had a big issue with the food, but now they're about to have a bigger issue with the people. So as he's in the middle of a revival story, these people are heating up. They're heating up. The ones who criticize Peter, this isn't God. This isn't God. There's no way with the food, and now you're going to tell me about people. And so you've got to realize the mindset in this culture was a real struggle. He's about to talk about people. And so I believe this also applies in a secondary sense, primarily to food. Um, don't call anything impure that God has made clean, but he's tying this now to people. You and I should not call anyone impure that God has made clean as well. You guys got that? We shouldn't call anyone impure that God has made clean. How many know that he who is in Christ is a new creation? The Bible says she who is in Christ is a new creation. That he takes our sins away and puts them as far as the east is from the west. That's what God says. Into the sea of forgetfulness. And yet we can go back to that spot and go fishing. And we're not supposed to. Worse off, we can go back fishing on others' behalf. Let me see what I might get. What, what are we doing? That's happened in revivals. Looking for critical flaw, looking for something that we can bring. It's happened, guys. It happens. And so he is moving on from food to people. And we have to be careful the way we speak about our brothers and sisters because God sees us. This is a pretty radical um, theological um, principle. But God sees us as righteous. When you study the righteousness of Christ, we are righteous through what he did, not because of what we did. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're all sinners and, you know, we all need a savior and no one's righteous, no, not one. But through what Jesus did, we are declared righteous. We're justified, we're declared. In other words, God sees us through the provision of Jesus and sees us totally differently than we see each other. And I think God, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, wants us to see each other through the redemptive work of Christ, through the work of the cross. That's the way we ought to be looking at each other as family. So don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And so uh, this moves on uh, in verse 11. It says, right then, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And these six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. So he's saying these Gentiles came to me and invited me to go. And at first he was a little surprised, but he's clear. He's like, the Holy Spirit told me to go. Peter's saying, it wasn't just a good idea. It wasn't a thought I had. The Holy Spirit told me to go. And then he goes on to say that we, we actually, when we got there, we went inside the house of these Gentiles. We didn't just talk outside the gate. We went inside. Now, again, the people in the story, you have to realize, were ready to blow up at this point. Pop, pop in a jugular vein, you know, over here, over this story. You did what? Now, we look at this, and it might not apply to our lives because we don't care, Jews or Gentiles, whatever. I'm just saying, when revival is breaking out, we may have our own issue with who should get in and who shouldn't and why and what the approach should be. You know, they came to Jesus with that same issue. Hey, Jesus, they're over there doing this. And it's like, leave them alone. Let them do it. 
You know, if they're not against me, they're for me, Jesus said. When Peter, when Paul was challenged with the same thing, he's like, hey, some are preaching Christ out of this, some are preaching Christ out of this. As long as Christ is being preached, don't worry about it. And yet some can't do that. Some are so focused on the minutia that they miss out on the big picture of God. This is not an excuse for sloppy living. We need to aim well. We need to check our doctrine and we need to, you know, understand sound theology. Yes, but at what expense do we stop moving on with a big picture of God and start to major in a minor, right? Instead of majoring in the majors, we start to major in a minor. That's like going to college and graduating and say, what you, would you go to school for? I got my degree in underwater basket weaving. Really cool. You're like, in what? Really? You spent all that time in that? If you like that, shouldn't it be some side thing? Wasn't there something better to aim at? I think the kingdom of God is the same way. It's sharing Jesus with people who are dying without him, dying without him. And all through scripture and every revival, the least likely were coming in and they were entering the kingdom, falling in love with Jesus. They were getting water baptized. They were getting filled with the spirit. They were growing in his word. They were being sent out, understanding their gifts in faith, serving God, changing the world. Changing the world. And that's what revivals have always done. And yet some can be stopped and focused and critical about a small thing and missing out completely like we see uh, in the picture in the middle of this revival story. Um, Peter explains this. And when he does, he says, the Holy Spirit told me to go. The Holy Spirit told me to go. And so if you're a note taker, I think it's pretty uh, noteworthy that the third point this morning is that the Holy Spirit invites us to move with him. The Holy Spirit invites us to move with him. A move of the Holy Spirit is literally the Spirit of God, God himself, is moving in an area, a society, a group of people, a neighborhood, a city, whatever it might be, um, workplace. Maybe Spirit of God wants to do something in your workplace and he's looking for people to move with him. And if we move with him, we recognize a move of the Spirit, then we can move with him and get in on what God wants to do. If we don't recognize a move of the Spirit, we miss out on the move of the Spirit. And so Peter here is explaining it and says, no, I, I recognized it and I moved with the Spirit. He told me to go and I went. It moves on in verse 15. It says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, you know, there's a couple of cool things that I, that I see in this sequence, the way it rolls out here. And I think these are markers of revival, if you will. These are noteworthy points of what is legit revival and, and some of the things that happen in a revival. We're reading about revival. We're reading about a move of the Holy Spirit where some recognize it, some move along with the Spirit in a move of the Spirit. Others don't recognize and some criticize. But in the middle of this, here's one thing that happened for sure in a revival as a noteworthy point. The first one is that people receive the Word of God. Um, 
It says in this passage, Peter went there to share the word of God with them and the Gentiles received the word of God. The word of God is central to revival. You can't have a revival without the word of God. In fact, every revival surrounds a fresh reading of God's word where people are going back to saying, God said it and this is alive. You can't have a revival outside of the word of God. Does that make sense? And so there's something primary about the word of God being preached, the word of God being understood. They're waking up to the reality of its truth. And that's what he says in the, in the beginning here is that the Gentiles received the word of God. So in this revival, people received the word of God. It was clearly preached and then it was received. That's a component that lives in every revival. And in this one too, he says, the Holy Spirit came on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. When we see the first revival in Scripture in the book of Acts, there were regular people who were afraid behind closed doors because the Messiah was just killed, and they're up there praying and praying. They love God, but they don't have courage. They don't have boldness. They're not out on mission yet. In fact, they haven't even been released to do the mission yet until, until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when that happened, it was the birthday of the church. They began to turn Jerusalem on end because of not them, but what the Spirit of God was doing in and through them. So the Holy Spirit coming on people or filling people or baptizing people was the second one. And the third thing he says, you know, he's like, hey, listen, guys, that's what God did. I'm telling you, these guys came to criticize. And Peter's saying, this is what God did. And he explains what God did. And I would suggest the stories, the God stories of what God did is another key component of every revival. Because if you and I can explain it, then God didn't do it, right? God's bigger than that. He's outside that box. And when you look at all these other revivals of all these people that came to faith, whether it's the Jesus movement or the Great Awakenings, all these, it's like, we can't explain this. Why? Because it's the Spirit of God who is stirring, the Spirit of God who is moving. It was men and women of God who recognized the move of the Holy Spirit and moved along with the Holy Spirit. And out of that, there will be stories, there will be testimonies. There'll be stories of what God did. And it's amazing that after these three happen, people receive the word of God. The spirit of God comes down on people. You can't deny that reality. And there's testimony. It says after that, <laughs> there's no further objections. No further objections here. You hear that in a court scene when somebody presents such a case. You're like, wow, <laughs> no further objections. That's it. Um, and so in this story here, Peter presents what revival really looked like and what the move of the Spirit was like and how we partnered with the Spirit. So the fourth point this morning, the final point, is that Peter didn't have a critical spirit. He wasn't like the other camp here. He had a flexible spirit. He was open. God, I don't get this Gentile thing. Makes no sense to me. But just because I don't understand it, as Scott shared last week, doesn't mean I won't walk in it. We don't have to understand everything to walk out in faith what God's telling us to do. And in fact, if we wait to understand it, we'll be waiting a long time. Because this side of heaven, there's a lot we're not going to understand. We're not going to come to terms and we're not going to crack the code. We're not going to figure it out. And if we stay planted and we wait until we figure it out, we're going to be pulled over for a long time, family. We have to move along with the Spirit and we won't understand and figure it out this side of heaven. But along the way, maybe God will show you why. In this case, Peter's like, I don't get this whole Gentile thing. I don't get the bacon cheeseburgers coming down on a, on a sheet. I don't get any of it. I don't get walking into these guys' house when I know my friends are going to yell at me for this. I don't get any of it. But the Spirit of God showed up, and he changed lives. And we got a testimony of a whole society that's changing because of what God is doing. So the fourth point is that those who are pliable 
will get in on greater things. If you are pliable, you will get in on greater things. Um, Chuck Smith used to say, blessed are the flexible, for they will not break. Having a little bit of flexibility, not being so rigid in some of these areas in our life where we don't have room for anything. Um, uh, Jesus referred to um, God doing a new work. And when he referred to God doing a new work, he referred to the analogy of wineskins. He, he referred to the analogy of the Spirit of God being poured out like wine. And if you're in an old, rigid wineskin, um, you have no flexibility. And this has nothing to do with age and everything to do with flexibility. If there's no flexibility, you blow up. Like the people in the story that were criticizing. They're blowing up over this thing. But if you're like Peter, you got a little flexibility. I don't understand what God's doing, but hey, the Spirit's moving this way. I'm going to go with God. He told me to go. I don't have to get it. If there's that flexibility in our lives, then we have this opportunity. Uh, Matthew 9, 17. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the old wine would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins. And that is amazing to me. And as we just finish these last couple of um, just thoughts, uh, maybe the worship team could come up. That would be great. But it says, uh, Acts fifteen seventeen. He says, no, not 15, we're in chapter 11. He says, you might want to underline this as well in your Bible if you underline these two things today. Um, Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who, Who was I? That's a pretty humbled statement. This is Peter, the super apostle, who got in on all the greatest miracles when there was times in scripture where everybody had to go. Jesus was like, Peter, James, John, come with me. You're getting in on something no one else is getting in on. Raising the dead, transfiguration, a lot of stuff. Come with me, guys. Peter is getting in on some radical things right now. And yet he's like, let me make one thing clear. Who am I to get in God's way on anything? And I think if we keep that same disposition of our heart, who are we to get in the way? In fact, I was so blown away at the way this is stated. Who was I, that I, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? It, it's a great understanding of the magnitude and the power and the all-knowing sovereignty of God and who we think we're going to block God and block a move of the Spirit. Peter's like, I don't have to understand it. I'm not going to block God. If he says do it, I'm going to walk in it. Uh, some of the other translations say, who was I to withstand God? Some say, who was I to hinder God? Who was I to interfere with God? I love this one. Who qualified me to forbid God? Who qualified me? See, it's a move of the Spirit and I was forbidding it. Who, who qualified me for that? And the answer is nobody did. Nobody qualified us for that. That's God. That's a move of the Spirit. We have to allow for God to move as he wants. It'll line up with Scripture, but we might not get it right away. It might be so fresh and outside the box that it might rock our understanding as it has through many revivals in the past. Um, In closing, um, Am Grand Lotz, who was uh, the daughter of Billy Graham, uh, great evangelist, greatest evangelist of our century. Um, she accepted an invitation to, uh, to speak at a conference. When she got to the conference, she looks in the curtain and she realized, oh, wow, there's a lot of pastors here. I didn't realize it was a pastor's conference. And she calls her dad, Billy. says, hey, dad, um, I got a message here. I just realized it's a room full of pastors. I knew it was a convention. but I, He's like, that's great. Did the Lord give you something to say? She's like, oh, yeah, he gave me something to say. That's great, honey. You get out there and you, you share what he put on your heart. 
And Am Graham Lotz writes in her story, when I got there, I stood at the lectern at the convention center. Many of the 800 church leaders present turned their chairs around and put their backs to me. And when I concluded my message, I was shaking, I was hurt, and I was surprised that godly men would find that what I was doing was so offensive that they would stage such a demonstration, especially when I was invited as a guest. I was confused. I think when we become critical, we are no longer teachable. And scripture says the qualification to continue to move on in the kingdom of God for God's glory, certainly of all leaders, is to, to remain teachable. We don't have it all down like we're the ultimate authority. We've got to still be teachable in what God's trying to show us. And these guys were critical and unteachable. And I think what happens is we, we become like Pharisees. Sometimes we become ignorant of our true spiritual condition. In pointing out other things, sometimes we're missing what's going on in this, this heart of ours. It's also been said that a critical spirit stands in God's way without even knowing it. Um, just as God is doing something in revival in this story, the ones with the critical spirit, they don't even know they're standing in God's way. They don't even know they're blocking. First, they don't recognize, but they're hindering and they're trying to block and they're, and they're you know, accusing in this story here. And Peter's like, who am I to stand? I, I don't want to hinder anything God's doing. Who am I to do that? So I just want to close in prayer. But I, I think if we're honest, family... We all have a sense of that in our own lives where we see something go, hey, what about that? And hopefully we come to terms with it sooner than later because if we don't, what happens in this story, it wasn't a person, it was a group and then two or three are talking and then four or five and they start buzzing around and issue a problem or a person rather than like scripture says, if you've got a problem with somebody, they sin against you, you go to them, speak the truth in love. Somebody sins against you, go to them and say, hey, can I just tell you something? What you did that hurt, that sinned against me. And you, you work it out. That's what the Bible says. But sometimes we do what they did in the story. We can either have an issue like I was doing earlier with that pastor's car and starting to come up with all these things in my head when the Holy Spirit said, stop. There's no place for that. That's your brother right there. But at the same time, we can start to become a group. These were the group of the, the circumcised. They had a little subset. It wasn't the main church. It was part of them who started to share some critical views together. And they didn't recognize revival at all. They didn't recognize the move of the Spirit, and they didn't get to participate in a move of the Holy Spirit. And so I just encourage right now that um, if, and I, and I believe this applies to all of us. In fact, if you want to join me, I'm standing on this one. If you want to stand to your feet, I just want to ask God, if this is an area of your heart, if you feel you've been critical towards others or things in God's kingdom in any way, shape, or form, I know I have. I don't want that in my life. I think it's going to hinder what God wants to do for revival. I don't want that in this church. And my prayer is that our leaders would all say, yeah, we don't want that. And I don't want that in this body. I don't want it in the city. I think it's going to hinder the revival for what God wants to do. So God, we stand before you today uh, in this area and I just pray, God, that we would not be so critical that we don't recognize a move of your Holy Spirit, God. I just pray for all of us, Lord God, that uh, if you want to just put your hands out to God, I was giving it to him, but God, this area of being critical or cynical or judgmental in any kind of way, uh, God, would you change our mind? Change our mind because it's not just our action. We have to change our mind about it Action is just behavior modification. 
But Lord, we have to change our mind so we'll act differently. God, would you change our mind? Would you begin to show us like these people in the story here that after all it was said and done, they finally had no further objection. And I just pray that we would be people, we don't want to stand in your way what you're doing in the lives of others. We don't want to stand in your way of what you're doing in this city and this church for revival, God. We don't want to stand in your way, God, and we don't want our own critical issues, agendas, concerns, or problems to have an overflowing effect into the lives of others, and that we too end up like this camp over here in the story where they're, they're all together with the same judge and jury critiquing a move of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So Lord, I just pray, change our minds. Let us know how to look at others as brothers and sisters in Christ, and what you have declared clean, uh, let us acknowledge that we're not to call dirty. Uh, Lord, I just pray you help us to look at the family, the body of Christ differently, and that we would uh, love one another and we would have grace, more grace and mercy for others. And if somebody is out of line, personal in our life, that we just go to the person in love. This is no excuse for sloppy living, but God, we don't have to build a constituency and start going down this road as they did in the story. And I think it's the biggest hindrance for revival is that cynical, critical, um, instead of being open-handed, and we want to be new wineskins, God. We want to be flexible. We don't have to understand it to walk it out. We have your word. We have your spirit. We know you're doing a new thing, and we want to be open to what you're doing, God. We love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.